Hey there, thanks for tuning in. My name's Kara, and you're listening to Demystifying Careers, a podcast where we talk to real people about who they are, what they do, and how they got to where they are today. For this week's episode, we have Rena Debray, a biology PhD student at the University of California, Berkeley. Rena is a 24-year-old second-year PhD student who sat down with me to chat all about PhD programs and her personal experience with her own program. We recorded multiple episodes, each one covering a different topic about PhDs, and this episode is focused on admissions. We discuss what PhD programs are looking for from applicants, the importance of research experience, and Rena's own journey with applying and interviewing at schools. Once you have finished this episode, feel free to check out the others. Rena was a great guest, and I'm so excited for you all to hear her talk. Anyways, enough of me blabbering away. On to the podcast. Enjoy! Hello there, Rena. Hey, Kara. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm staying with my parents in Arizona because of the coronavirus outbreak, and I've been trying to teach their dog how to shake paws for like three weeks. <laughs> oh. He finally did it, but nobody was looking, and then I tried to show people, and he wouldn't do it again. He's hiding his talents from the world. He's just not ready to be famous yet. <laughs> how are you doing, Kara? I'm good. We're recording this on a Friday, so I'm pretty excited for the weekend. I'm excited to sleep in a little bit, but I'm also excited because today we get to talk about PhD admissions. And I know that sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I genuinely love talking about admission stuff. It's one of my favorite, okay, maybe not one of my favorite, but it, it's a fun topic for me. I really like hearing about it. So I'm excited to hear you talk about what that process looked like for a PhD program today. Yeah, me too. It'll be a really fun topic to talk about. Let's dive into it. Absolutely. And one thing I want to mention and just preface right off the bat is that you are a STEM PhD, so you're in a biology PhD program. So your answers are going to be mostly related to your experience uh, with a STEM PhD. So some of the answers that we have here and the things that we talk about might not be completely relevant to non-STEM PhDs. We're hoping that a lot of the information can still be relevant, but just putting that out there that um, it's more geared towards uh, science and math and all that. Anyways, I'm going to pretend that I'm looking to apply to a PhD program in the near future. So I think my first question, and I know this is super vague, but how do I get into a PhD program? All right, I can try to answer that. I'll have to answer by saying that does differ a lot depending on what field you're in. It can differ depending on um, what is right for you at your time in life and in your career. So people um, vary a lot more in what age they enter grad school than what age they enter undergrad. And that's okay. Some people feel that they're ready right out of college like I did. So I applied in my senior year. Um, Some people prefer to take some time to work either as a research tech or as something that's not as related to what they're doing in grad school and then apply maybe a few years later. That's a really great point because for me as someone who's not as familiar with the PhD world, I always imagine grad school just comes straight after college because a lot of the people I know who are PhDs, that's how it worked for them. But it's really good to understand that that's not this timeline that everyone takes. And a lot of people enter PhD programs uh, later in life, whether it's a few years after college or maybe decades after. Yeah, I would say in my program, going right through from undergrad is probably in the minority. Um, There's about 20 or so um, people who entered my, my program in the same year as me. 
and there's only three of us who went right from under God. So it was actually much more common for people to work for a couple of years. Um, often that means working in a lab, but it can, it can really mean anything. So maybe a better question to ask you, what do you think PhD programs are looking for in their applicants? With the caveat that I'm not an admissions officer, I would say that people are looking for creativity and independence and a passion for science. Those are things that become more and more important um, kind of beyond undergrad as you get into master's and PhD levels because you're expected to take more charge of what you do. There's a bit less of an emphasis on how well you do in classes when you're in a PhD program and more of an emphasis on the kind of research questions that you're thinking of and figuring out how to test and, you know, taking some some leadership of yourself. And so that's that's pretty general, but in terms of what that can look like when you're applying, it's really good to have research experience in undergrad, either if you're at a, a university that has labs you can work in, or if not, there are often summer programs where you can visit another university. And if, there, if it's not very easy to get experience in a lab, there are often courses that you can take in college that are more research focused, where you get to learn lab skills and, and conduct small uh, research projects. So I think th that's the number one thing that programs look for is what you have done and how much of a leadership role you've taken in it, understanding that as at the undergrad level that you know, you don't have to have that all figured out. You're still mostly learning and, and being mentored. But as you gain more experience, maybe you start to ask some of those questions yourself. And I think programs do care about the grades that you got, and they, they might differ in how much they care about that. But it's a good measure of how much you'll be able to handle the like technical rigor of graduate school. But I think it's equally important that you have research experience and letters of recommendation that speak to how well you do in the lab because it's it's not always correlated. I would say there are many great researchers who find that the school homework test thing wasn't something that worked as well for them. But when they were in control of their own learning, they really took off. That's awesome to hear. I want to ask you, because you're going to University of California, Berkeley, which is a fantastic program. I want to hear a little bit about, you know, the specific details of your, you know, admissions profile, I guess. Like, what kind of research did you do in undergrad? What leadership positions? What recommendation letters did you get from people? Like, what's that stuff you actually used to show people that you should be part of their program? When I started at Duke, I took a, a freshman seminar and ended up really loving it. It was about social behavior in primates, and I guess I did well enough because the professor asked me at the end of the semester if I'd like to join her lab. And I said, yes, of course, that sounds fun. Um, so that was when I did my first summer of college. I worked full-time in that lab. And then in the rest of the time at Duke, I did a part-time, like, uh, it, it was like 10 or 15 hours a week, I forget. And it counted as one of my course credits. I, of course, got less done during the school year, but I got to still keep up with it. And then I had uh, two other summers of college left the one before my junior year and before my senior year. And I did each of those at different summer research programs. The summer before my junior year, I did a program called REU, Research Experience for Undergraduates. It lets people basically be an exchange student for a summer and get matched with a lab. I worked at a, at a research station in Virginia in the mountains and did field work studying social behavior in beetles. And then my last summer of college, I um, 
did a program called Amgen Scholars. And so I did that one actually at the University of California, Berkeley. It happens to be in the same lab that I, well, not just happens. I did that because I knew I was interested in, in this kind of, in, in going to Berkeley and maybe this kind of research for grad school. And it let me kind of test drive that. So that worked out great. So those were the research experiences I had in undergrad. And those were the three letters that I, um, that I had. So my research supervisor at Duke, the one at the um, station in Virginia, and the uh, professor that I worked for at Berkeley were my three letters. Is that the norm for a lot of those PhD programs is to try to get someone who's seen you in action for research? Research is the, the best case scenario because that'll help people reading your application understand what your um, thinking and skills are like in the lab. You know, you definitely don't feel like you have to have three or more different research experiences. I wouldn't say that's the norm at all. So often people had maybe one person that they did research with very closely who wrote about their research ability. Maybe they did like an undergraduate TA position and that can speak to how good you would be at teaching in grad school. If you did really well in a class and it was a small class, then that might be a good time to ask the professor who taught it. But if it was a large intro biology class, they'll really just be able to say that you got a whatever grade you got and they won't know that you that well as a person. So it's probably similar things that you were thinking about in high school that it's, it's good to have somebody who knows you really well. Um, but in when you're applying to PhD programs, if you can make some of those letters come from research supervisors, that's really, really helpful. Yeah, I mean, so high school, that's the last time that I ever applied for any type of school. But I'm just wondering if you could speak to and the similarities and differences with undergrad applications versus PhD program applications? Because I think a lot of people have gone through the undergrad one, but the PhD one, at least for me, and probably a lot of other people is a little more foreign. Yeah, absolutely. It's, the, it's similar in the sense that you send your transcript out to all these schools, and you have to take a standardized test called the GRE. Uh, though I will say fewer and fewer grad programs are requiring the GRE or weighing it very heavily. People are starting to realize that test taking ability probably doesn't have that much to do with how well you actually reason through complicated scientific problems. So those are some similarities. Uh, there are personal statements, just like when you're applying to college. Uh, though I would say that when I was applying to college, I remember having to write some, I don't know, a wide variety of essays about my favorite extracurricular and things like that and show that I was a well-rounded person. And PhD programs are, are pretty specialized. So I would say the essays are a lot more about your research. I don't remember having to write about other experiences on my resume. I'm curious about the essays. What did you write about? So I wrote about the research I had done, and I think that's that's pretty common. I mentioned that I had kind of three different research experiences at different places in college. So I had like a paragraph about each one, about what the project was and what results I found and what I learned from it and why it interested me. And, and I tried to pull that all together with a whole general, like, this is what I'm interested in. This is why I think it's cool. And this is why, and, and you know, this is an important component is there was a part at the end of each essay where I said, this is the aspects of this program that make it a good match for me. Um, PhD programs are a lot smaller than undergrad programs. You know, my, my program has about 100 people and that's on the large side compared to where I went for undergrad, which has 7,000 undergrads. So fit becomes a lot more important and demonstrating that you're, you're really interested in this particular program and you're not just applying because it's a fancy name 
you know, but really because this is the right place for you to be. That's something that will take you really far. And then how long did the process last from start to finish? I knew kind of throughout college that graduate school looked interesting to me. So that was always my my main plan. But it wasn't until just before my senior year that I really started narrowing down my list of programs. August and September and October, I worked on my, my personal statements. The applications were due all at the beginning of December. Very soon after that, like in the next few weeks or maybe as much as um, two months later, was when I started hearing back about whether I made it to the interview stage. Then the interviews that I went to took place in January and February. Some of the programs, again, got back to me very soon, like a week after the interview. Some of them took another month or two to think about it. I think in the the later case, it was because I was on a wait list. So uh, by March, I think I had heard back from all my programs and then I had until April 15th and that that I think is a pretty general uh, deadline that graduate programs have agreed on as the time for for people to make the decision between the offers they've gotten. So making that decision and that's a huge one because like you said it's a big part of your life you're committing to the next like five years to spend at that school and how did you decide slash how do you even start to figure out what programs you apply to? It, it was hard. I felt I felt pretty confused the whole time that I was applying. Um, it felt like there was less guidance or, or that I knew less of what to do than when I was applying to colleges, maybe just because I didn't know as many people who were who were doing the same thing as me. So in terms of figuring out which ones, in a PhD, a lot of that is based on who you want to work with. So it's a lot more specific. Like I mentioned, it's a lot more about fit than an undergrad. So I spent some time just reading papers in my field of interest and trying to pay attention to who was um, writing them and where they were from. And I, I looked a little bit at rankings of grad programs I, I think that's never a, a be-all, end-all, perfect measure of what your experience will be like, but it can give you a bit of an idea of what schools are going to have a lot of resources and maybe funding available for students. So that could be a starting point, but don't don't feel like the difference between like the 11th program and the 12th program is going to make your break your PhD. That's probably a very like arbitrary. What I had a general idea of the programs, and I had an idea of the um, people that I wanted to work with there. And I also thought about where I wanted to live because, again, it's a huge chunk of your life. And coming from Arizona, I just didn't see myself being happy if I were in a place where I was waking up to snow and gray skies day <laughs> after day. And I think that's a totally reasonable thing to base your, your decision on. Absolutely. Yeah, I think people sometimes want to pretend like geography isn't a big deal. and but it is like if you're not used to snow or maybe you have a partner somewhere or family or you just like one coast more than the other that's a super valid and important reason to make your decision based off those factors you know don't feel like the academic reputation of the school is the only important thing you're going to do your best work if you're happy um, and whatever that means whether that means going to a program that has enough funding so that you can live comfortably or going to a place where you're you enjoy the weather and you can get outdoors a lot or staying close to your family. Those are all great reasons to choose one program over another. And how many programs did you end up applying for? I applied to seven, but then I, I would really say that ended up being six because when I ended up getting um, hearing back about which programs I made to the interview stage and which I didn't, um, I had the very 
fortunate problem of having more interviews than I wanted to travel to. So at that stage, I, I cut that down and said, okay, I'll, one of these is falling to the bottom of the list. I'm not going to visit. So it was really six that I pursued to the end. The idea of applying to like 15 schools and some of them you don't like as much, but you'll go there if you have no other option. That's not so much of a thing for PhDs. You should apply to places that you really see yourself going to. Yeah, I remember in high school, there were a lot of my classmates who applied to 20 plus schools just to see where they could get in. But you're right, if you're having to fly to that place to do all those interviews, that would get so exhausting. Uh, I don't think anyone could handle that on top of what else they're doing, whether it's a full-time job or senior year of college or whatever. Since you applied to seven different programs, um, that's still a good chunk, um, enough where it could get confusing you know, organizing that information. Was there something that you did to help you with that? Like creating a little spreadsheet or tagging your emails? Like is what, what did that process look like to organize um, the different programs and the application materials that you had? Well, I am the queen of spreadsheets. I'm actually just <laughs> my, my grad school app spreadsheet right now to see what kind of information I was collecting on it. So when I was applying, I had um, the program like ecology and evolution or whatever it was called the university it was at deadline they all had the same deadline I don't know why to call them for that first choice lab and then a like just description of what they do second choice lab third choice lab description and then I, I had some lines about what they require and that's going to be pretty similar across schools they want you to write an essay about your research and then maybe some of them also want to hear a bit about your personal background but they all had different page requirements and then I had some columns keeping track of whether I, I had sent them my GRE scores and my transcripts and recommendation letters and making sure they got everything. As I was visiting the schools and getting offers from them and trying to decide, I had another spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets. <laughs> Queen of spreadsheets. With um, the program and the advisor that I would be working with there. And sometimes there were a couple of advisors that I was interested in. I looked a bit at what kinds of work they had been publishing and what kind of grant funding they have to get an idea of what what resources might be available for me. That's good information to have on a spreadsheet. I would have imagined just having things like deadlines and name of programs and some of the basic information, but I think it's nice that you included things like where are those graduates after? What, what jobs are they doing? Um, what type of grants do they have? Things that go a little beyond, and it probably helped, I, I'm guessing, to just make that spreadsheet to help you figure out what programs you're most interested in, figure out that priority list, like what your top schools were. Absolutely. And I, and I wouldn't think that any of those, um, any of those metrics are like sink or swim by themselves, but overall they can help give you a, a picture of what the environment would be like, what the, maybe what the advisor will be like, will they have a lot of time for you or will, are they chair of the department and they'll be busy all the time? Um, what kind of funding, and other resources are available. Again, I, I think it, it can be hard to know how to pick these programs because it's not so much about the exact ranking on the US News and World Reports list, if that was something that anybody else worried about in when they were applying <laughs> to college. 
Um, I would say it's more about fit and that can be a little hard to capture, but if you look at a lot of details, I think you'll start to feel like there's a picture emerging. And for the interviews, so you mentioned that you went on different interviews, you flew across the country for them. What were they like? I, I remember my college interview just being a really casual conversation at Starbucks where we talked about video games and movies. I'm guessing that's not what you guys talked about. So what what was that experience like? How did you feel? What did you guys talk about? They were fun. I was nervous and um, they were exhausting. I will, I'll, I'll first I'll say that not all grad programs, even in STEM, do interviews. It tends to be a bit like field specific. So most of the chemists that I know just got their, their good news or their bad news. And then afterwards they went to visit the places they got in and there was all just no stress, just you're in, have fun and decide whether you like this place. Usually in biology, what I've seen is that you get invited to interview and not everybody from there gets an offer. Though I will say most people do. I think most of the like selection process happens before the interview, uh, not from the interview to acceptance. So if you get an interview, that's, that's, that means you're in a good spot. What happens is they fly you out. As far as I know, they always the school always pays for it. So that plane ticket doesn't come out of your pocket. And it's usually a three or four day experience. And usually that involves a couple days of meeting with faculty in the department, maybe meeting with grad students and postdocs in the lab or labs that you're interested in, as well as a lot of social activities, getting to know the current grad students in the program, getting to hear about their experience, um, hopefully explore the city a little bit. So they can be really fun. And even the interviews can be fun because you know, academics love talking about their research and it's, it's nice to be able to kind of geek out over, over things that most people are not interested in. There, it is like several days jam-packed full of activities and that can be exhausting. So I, I found that whenever I could, like between interviews or if there was an activity that was optional and didn't look super interesting, then I would try to take some introvert time and, you know, take some rest. Um, so that I didn't burn myself out. I would definitely have to take some introvert time too. That's a lot of being on all the time. Did you record your feelings about the place, your experience in that spreadsheet so that you would remember later on how you felt about the place? You know, I wish I had. When I was interviewing, I knew that it was supposed to be like kind of a combination of me trying to impress them and them trying to impress me. But I was just so worried about impressing them. I think I, it was all kind of a blur. And then when I did get my offers and was trying to decide, I felt a little overwhelmed because I, I um, hadn't been thinking as much when I visited about like whether it was the place I wanted to be. That ended up causing me some stress. I wish that I had tried to evaluate the program as I was also trying to worry about getting in. So I wish I had kept some notes. I think it's hard anytime you have to be so present, so on. You're not really thinking, oh, I should jot this down about how I'm feeling. Maybe a tip, I guess, for people who are going to go through the process is then to keep a notebook or just type in your notes on your phone just a little bit about how you're feeling. Are those interviews really just for fit? Like, I mean, obviously, again, you're not admissions, but did you feel like that's what the questions are about? Did they ask you technical questions about your research at all? Or was it really just figuring out who you are as a person and having you figure out who they are as people? I would say most of them were pretty casual conversations. We were talking about research, but it wasn't like I, I didn't feel like I was being grilled. Some of them got a little more off topic and we would talk about other interests that I had outside of, of research, which I think is, is nice to know that you are 
uh, as, as a professor, I think they care a little bit about whether they're accepting like a sane kind of balanced normal person, <laughs> uh, as opposed, you know, they probably don't want somebody who just works in the lab all the time because eventually they might burn themselves out and have nothing else that is fun in their life. So I think, you know, getting to know the person can be a really nice thing and see like, is this somebody that is going to be pleasant to work with for five years? There were, there were just a couple of cases where I felt like I did have a more intense technical interview where I was grilled about what kind of research I would do if I went to this school. So it can kind of run the whole gamut, but most of my experiences were in the middle where it was scientific, but not very high pressure. A lot of fun to have these conversations with really brilliant scientists. This is a weird question, but do you ever read research papers and like see, you know, you have like a certain researcher you're a really big fan of and then you got to meet them and you fangirl? Is that a is that a thing that happens in the research world? Do you freak out when you get to meet someone who you read their paper? Yeah, oh, my, my, friend, my friend and I talk about science crushes. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. Like when you when you admire someone's work, and especially if you get to know them as a person, and they're really cool in person too, then that's really, you know, so that that has definitely happened. <laughs> I've definitely met some of my idols. Um, but I, I, won't, I won't talk about who my science crushes are on this podcast. It's a little <laughs> you can ask me offline, Tara. I gotta, I gotta know who the Harry Styles of the biology world is. <laughs> I need to know. Is Harry Styles your go-to for, for <laughs> He's, he's a heartthrob, you know? People are freaking out about him. I just love the idea of, like, a middle-aged professor coming out of like a tour bus and a bunch of PhDs screaming and being like, oh my God, I love your thesis. Is that- <laughs> yeah. Well, this I, is I what I imagine. As far <laughs> from the truth as you think it is. I, I don't think it's quite like groupies, but um, we definitely have people <laughs> we really look up to and it's exciting to be able to meet them and talk to them for sure. And print their face out on a t-shirt that you wear with a heart around it. Yeah, I wear it to bed so that I can just like <laughs> wake up every morning and that's the first person I see. No, oh my God. <laughs> Can't wait to hear offline who your science crush is. <laughs> okay, so my last big question for you is just, I really want to hear about any cool moments you had during the application process, specifically related to getting accepted. I am really into watching YouTube videos of people getting accepted into colleges and their families freaking out and crying. I recorded my own reaction when I got into undergrad and my dad cried and I was screaming and it's just a really cool, surreal moment. So were there any moments like that that you had? Um, during your application process for PhD programs? Yeah, I would, I would say I was uh, super excited when I got my first invitation to interview, because that was the first thing that I, you know, ever heard from these programs after, after like sending, my, putting my heart and soul into these applications and sending them away. And I had just been so stressed that semester. I was working hard. It was all this uncertainty about what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm doing this whole process right. Um, I was having stomach aches and trouble sleeping and stuff. So um, it was a really big moment. I remember that day I had to get up early to go to an early morning lab meeting. I was tired. I was like out of it from working so hard on applications. I sounded really dumb. I felt really dumb. And I just, I went back to my dorm after lab meeting, just feeling really like kind of down in the dumps, like, oh, maybe I'm just not smart enough to be a scientist. And I was so tired and I took a nap. I woke up to a notification on my phone from, from UC Berkeley actually, which is where I ended up. So they were the first ones to tell me good news. And they said, 
come interview with us in January. And I said, oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> and I, I think I called my mom. That was, I'm sure that's the first thing I did. That's always the first thing I do when something happens to me. And um, I, it, it just really like came at a time when I really needed a win. So I was so excited. Oh, that's amazing. I'm getting so excited just listening to it. I know it happened a couple of years ago, but I, that's, that's a really awesome experience to have. I, it, it was a really stressful and confusing process. So if, if others of you are feeling the same way, I think that's very normal. But my story has a super happy ending. And I think a lot of people will probably appreciate hearing that it was confusing for you and it was stressful for you because admissions in general is such an anxiety inducing experience and people can feel like they're lost and maybe not doing things correctly. So I think it's good to hear someone who's gotten through that experience, had a happy ending, um, but knowing that they went through some hard times with it too. Well, that wraps up our discussion on PhD admissions and application process. I know there's a lot that we probably didn't cover and things that are very specific to your experience, Rena, that might not be relevant to everybody's experience, but we're going to try to link a bunch of different pieces of information on the admissions process and other resources that we think are helpful in the description of this podcast episode. So feel free to check that out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Rena, for sharing your experience and information. It was really awesome to hear all about that process. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on the guest and what was discussed, check out the information in the podcast description box. And to hear more, feel free to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating so others can find demystifying careers too. Thanks again, and see you next time.